Hello, and you are very welcome back to the Public Eye Business Podcast brought to you by Granite Exchange. I'm your host, Sarah Travers, and throughout the series, I'm speaking with local entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about how their companies have come to be, to gain insight into their growth, and find out how they continue to innovate. So wherever you get your podcasts from, remember to keep an eye out for all new episodes and subscribe to stay up to date. Well, today I'm joined by Barry Nielsen, OBE and Chief Executive at the Construction Industry Training Board, Northern Ireland. Barry, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you very much, Sarah. It's lovely to see you. And it's a little bit of a a different podcast having uh, somebody from the Construction Industry Training Board uh, in the studio. But let's find out a little bit of background CITBNI's role is to encourage the adequate training of those employed or intending to be employed in the construction industry and to improve the skills and productivity of the industry to deliver a safe, professional and fully qualified workforce across the whole of the construction industry in Northern Ireland. The organisation provides a range of services to the industry, which incorporates identifying training needs, encouraging and advising on training, provision of training grants, research, standards and qualifications and policy development. Now, Barry himself started his career as an apprentice draftsman and progressed through the ranks to become a chartered civil engineer. He's held a series of director posts with the National House Building Council in Scotland and the Chartered Institute of Build, CIOB. He spent a few years as director for Cogent, a sector skills council for the petrochemical and polymer industry. And then an opportunity arose in 2010 to return to the construction sector as chief executive of CITBNI. Barry, could you tell us a little bit about yourself already? I'm hearing the dulcet tones that uh, are not from Northern Ireland. <laughs> yes, well, I grew up in the, the tenements of Glasgow. And very topically, uh, as we in the news at the moment, there's a lot of talk about mould and such like. The house I grew up in in the tenement was absolutely riddled with mould. And I ended up with tuberculosis when I was younger. Gosh. So I was quite a poorly child. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't an affluent area of Glasgow. Um, but strangely enough, uh, silver linings and such like, my tuberculosis was our ticket out of the slums of Glasgow into a house with a garden in a oh. more countrified area. So uh, everything, everything has a benefit, really. And did that start your interest in housing? I know you didn't start there, but was it something that you, you thought about and a lot? And why do people live in places that make you ill? I, I think in hindsight it did, because as I look at my career, I... I wasn't particularly great at school. Um, I had a talent. In in Scotland, we have a comprehensive school system. So everyone's in the school together, not separated. So people are identified and and, um, they have their strength and recognised for their individual strength. So you're in a mix. And my strength was always in the technical side of things. I was quite good at technical studies and maths and physics. Really terrible at English and art. Um, And that kind of led me into that that area. I wasn't university material. When I was younger, I was a bit flighty. I wasn't really interested in studying, so I didn't get to that point of going to university. And I don't think, I found out in hindsight, it wouldn't have suited me anyway. So I went straight into an apprenticeship as a draftsman in a, a civil engineering consultancy. And I really thrived in there. And I think I was reflecting before coming in, what really made the difference is that I was working with people that took an interest in me 
And I was encouraged to ask questions, but more importantly, they were keen to answer those questions and help me understand what I was doing at work. And then I did the ONC and the HNC and the degree. Um, after graduation, I, I, I drifted, I think, into housing again. And it's an interesting question. I don't know if it's because of, of my housing background uh, that I drifted into it, but I went to work for the Scottish Special Housing Association working in some of the worst housing and upgrading that housing and rebuilding the housing in Glasgow. And what did that do for you as a, as a person? How did that feel to know that purpose was to make people have better lives? It's very rewarding. There was a really strange scenario where I actually was involved in a project which, which upgraded the house that I used to live in, where I had to go back and redo the insulation and... Uh, do a, a, a refit of the whole house. Oh my goodness, not the, the not the tenement? Not the, the tenement, the, the house that we moved to oh, after with that. the garden? With the garden. Um, oh. So we had to put in new insulation, new windows, uh, redo the whole house, check the structural of it. And uh, it was it was a really bizarre um, experience to go back and walk into my, my old bedroom. Oh my goodness. But with a very different eye. It was yeah. very strange. Very strange. But, you know, well, you've talked there about apprenticeships and if we just look at the construction industry in Northern Ireland, the people who listen to this podcast, you know, they they quite possibly work in the construction industry. Maybe they've set up their own business uh, and have a trade or a craft. But that apprentice journey, uh, you know, you mentioned you didn't go to university. It's nearly like you have to put that disclaimer out there, first of all. Is it something that bothered you? I don't think it did, uh, and, and possibly because I ended up going to university and getting a degree in civil engineering. It's just that I yeah. took a different route. And everyone's different. Everyone learns different. This is one of the things I really love about the, the job that we do at CITB, is trying to recognise how everyone can get the best journey through their career. If some people stay at the craft level as a joiner or a brickie or an electrician, that's great, but some people can move on from that. And it's about recognising the inherent skills that individuals have on top of their technical skills. Because one of the things, especially these days, no one's ever going to have the same job for life. Uh, they're always going to move. So they need those transitional skills that help them move through their career. And within construction, they recognise talent and they recognise success and achievement. And if you have it within you, I know loads of people who've started off as an apprentice and are now managing directors of huge organisations. Yeah, and sometimes they make the best managers, don't they? Because they have kind of come up, you know, through the ranks and done it all. Yeah, and I, I think, again, having come through an apprenticeship, I have had some really bad bosses. <laughs> <laughs> I've had some people where I have learned so much from knowing what not to do. And I've had so much from knowing what to do. And I always think back of, um, I, I, at one point I was working with the Chartered Institute of Building, helping develop others. But my boss at that time was a man called Chris Blythe. And I remember him sitting, sitting me down just after I started there as the director for Scotland. And he said to me, my job, his job, is to make sure that I'm prepared for my next job, no matter where it is, whether it's within the organisation or outside 
I thought that's a wonderful gosh. attitude for a boss to have. Isn't that incredible? Oh gosh, I hope everyone's listening to that because it's usually what people are fearing that they're going to drain these people up and then they're going to leave. And yeah. what was that all about? And then we have to start again. Yeah, and, and the, the 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 construction industry is a very circular industry. So if you let someone go or someone leaves your organisation, they're going to come back somewhere, either within an organisation, another organisation, or as a subcontractor, or even come all the way back. So you want them to leave for the right reasons, and you want them to take a bit of your culture with them, and hopefully that's a good culture. So tell me, um, you know, you, you were the director with the National House Building Council in Scotland, Um and, you know, you've done so much, but then you came uh, to Northern Ireland and, and now you're chief executive of the CITBNI. What do you see your role as? What does the chief executive do? Well, <laughs> if you were to ask people within my organisation, they would give you a very short answer. <laughs> that would be nothing. Um, <laughs> I know a few of them too. <laughs> they might. Um, it's, it's, it's a very interesting, um, because CITB is uh, an arm's length body of government, I have two masters really. I have the government and policy masters, but I also have the industry to look after. So my role I often think of is, is a part interpreter between the industry and policy to make sure that the, the policy around education and uh, lifelong learning and training for the workforce uh, meets the needs of the industry. Um, and it's it's a really delicate dance at times, especially in the days we are in just now where money is tight. Mm. Um, but our core role really is to work with the industry and look forward to the next 10 years, not just the next 10 months or six months, because Within the industry, we, we have a lot of very small companies within the construction industry, and they don't have the time or the resource to plan 10 years ahead in terms of skills. That's what the CITB needs to do for them. And it's a difficult job trying to convince people what they're going to need in 10 years mm. when all they're focused on is what they want to survive for the next year. So tell me, um, you know, how is the industry at the minute and particularly in in Northern Ireland and when we're talking about sort of the homegrown companies, etc.? The industry in Northern Ireland is actually in a reasonable condition. Uh, this weathered, the weather to the financial crash in 2010, which is when I came over, not my fault, but that's when I arrived here. Yeah. And in, in recent times, obviously, we've had COVID and we've had the impact of Brexit. And there's been a lot of knocks, but construction companies are very resilient. Um, and what happened with Northern Ireland, and I think it was very good for the Northern Irish companies, is that in 2010, there was a, a downturn within the industry within the province. So they had to look outside. And some of those companies have grown and prospered outside um, considerably. Graham Construction is now the biggest contractor in Scotland, but they're still a Northern still Irish contractor. Northern Ireland, yeah. And they brought some practices where we're partnering with people in Scotland and England and elsewhere, and they bring those, part, those, those skills back to Northern Ireland. It has improved the industry here no end, uh, but that's a continuous process. And what about the amount of of work is it still across the water as well yes it is it's very busy across the water um, we have some companies where 80 to 90 percent of their operations are across the water and 10 percent here and down south which again is quite buoyant so barry when you look at the legacy of building um on this island north and south and creating and designing and you know even look at the titanic and the heritage that we have in this place but and we know some of the big names that are out there. And we do seem as a small place in Northern Ireland to be 
punching well above our weight. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things that, and it's a brilliant opportunity because it just happened the week, the last weekend that we're, before we're doing this, is that National House Building Council run their Pride in the Job Awards for house builders. And they scour the country. Over 8,000 site managers, they, they visit and they crawl over the sites. And on Saturday night, one of our medium-sized builders, a company called Alskia, which is a small company that's grown from nothing. They won the award for the best housing development in the UK. And that's it's, incredible. It's, it's, a, it's a remarkable achievement, and, and the team at Alskia deserve every plaudit that they can get for this because they've done it all on their own back. They're working with local trades, and they're showing that we can really produce quality for our, our customers and our economy here in Northern Ireland in the house building sector. What we're seeing at the moment is that the, the private sector is quite buoyant at the moment, or has been up until now. Obviously, there's been delays in public sector finance, uh, financed projects. Our worry is the next 18 months. Uh, we, Without getting into politics and the, the issue that we are, what we really need to do is to, to get the, the whole of the economy now back on track within Northern Ireland, both public and private, and there's so much there. Right now, there's probably about 20 years' worth of infrastructure work alone needed within yeah. Northern Ireland. Our water pipes and everything like that, which is yeah. really, and, and it's such a big issue. And yeah. I know that, you know, you have to keep uh, all bosses uh, happy, but how frustrated are you that we don't have an executive currently at the at the minute, but by the time people listen to this, maybe that will have changed. But you know how 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 has that affected the industry? I, th- I, th- I think it's got the dead hand on, um, especially in infrastructure and public investment. Uh, all of the all of the departments have a capital spend plan. All of the departments have a whole list of work that they need to be done to improve the infrastructure, whether it's housing, infrastructure, everything within Northern Ireland. And it's not stopped, but it's slowed down considerably because of the finances isn't there. And also, if you look at our education, the other the other aspect of that is that are we bringing our population into the right areas of employment as well? Within construction, we actually are worried that there is more work than there are people. Uh, we can't bring in inward workers from other countries, so we have to make the best of what we've got. And our education and training systems have to up their game. We are at full employment in Northern Ireland at the moment, but that means that there's still 30% of the population that aren't being used for employment, whether it's through um, health issues, whether it's to do with disability issues or other factors where they're just not in employment, and we actually have to look at these areas to try and bring those people into economic activity. Absolutely. So what are you doing? Have you started that journey, that process? Yeah, we, we have. Um, the CITB is working with Niacro with the justice system because uh, it's, it's a win-win situation if you can bring people from the justice system into a rewarding job that allows them to earn very good money. And it also allows them to progress in a career and gives them that 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 opportunity to kind of progress themselves and the economy. And of course, it's it's never a bit of a cliche about working with to 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 address the gender balance mm-hmm. and bring more women into the industry. And and we're doing that. Um, our next area that there's two areas that we're looking at for the next twelve months or so, and that is working with 
the new Empower Group, which is a, a collaboration of the Disability Action, UCL and Centurial, to bring people with disabilities into the workplace. Because, there's, especially in construction, there are so many jobs with various needs that we sometimes forget that the it's not what the disability is in an individual, it's what their abilities are. Yeah. And it's opening up the eyes to the industry of there's a workforce there that could they could tap into. And how difficult is it to get employers to think outside the norm? Yeah, I, I think it's no different from any other bit of society. You'll have those that are there already, that are ready to, to take that chance and move on. And we have some really innovative um, and forward-looking employers but we've got some that just need to be helped mm. along that journey. Uh, what we really need and what we tend to do is to work with the influence, influencers within the industry. And that's not necessarily a big company. It's a company of d- different sizes that other companies in their area look to. They're saying, well, if they're doing that, maybe we could try that. And it's picking those companies and trying to move them forward. Yes, and there are many companies that are really leading uh, by example, and they're really proud of their achievements in the areas around diversity and inclusion. Um, I'm particularly interested in your work that you you talked there in those various challenging areas. Um, Prisons. So you go in and you work in prisons now? Yeah, or you have done. We we have done, and it's, it's 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 an interesting proposition because if you want to move people from the justice system into the construction industry, one of the big issues is how do you do that safely? Mm. So we've been working with some partners, Niacro in particular, um, to create virtual reality training that can be done in the prison that actually allows them to experience the site while not visiting the site. Now it doesn't do; it's not a hundred percent. But it gets the people um, uh, at least safe to start to enter the site, and we're now moving that that um, program into doing augmented reality uh, that we could maybe use within the justice system and for careers in schools. So it's thinking differently. So we're moving across the sector. Now, what again about the employer that has to think? Right, do I want to employ somebody with the criminal record? Yeah, and uh, uh, that 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 has to be an issue, um, and. What we have to understand is not everyone within the justice system is a bad person. Mm. They might be an unfortunate person. Some of them may be, and this is difficult for some people to hear, but some of them may be themselves victims. Um, and they, they, they find themselves in a difficult position. So it's it's working with an open mind. And there are jobs there some people with, with certain convictions wouldn't be suitable for. But there's loads of jobs that they are. And I think... My industry, the construction industry, is is a good sector for people to to come into because we can bring people in with very low or no previous experience and qualifications. There are jobs there that allows them to start and then progress. I suppose, and that's me going back to to my my roots, I I joined the construction industry with nothing. Mm. Um, And I learned as I went all the way through. Um, And it's been very good to me. And what have the outcomes of, of that work been in terms of getting people into employment that maybe haven't had a chance and haven't yeah. had an opportunity before? And, you yeah. know, do you see that it's, it, it, are, the, are the outcomes successful? They, they are. Not every outcome is successful. Um, and some outcomes take longer to be successful than others. But it's, it's, it's a double benefit because you're helping people 
not be a drain on the economic resources of the country and start being an asset mm. to the economic resources and they're standing on their own two feet and then it's the next generation. There's nothing more powerful for children to see than their parents contributing and working uh, within the economy. What about women? <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's address the, the, the gender uh, inequality. Uh, what's the stat currently? Within the construction industry as a whole, we're probably looking about 13 or 14 percent right. um, gender balance for women. And what are the targets? Uh, uh, oh, a target? Well, really it should be 50 percent because it's 50 percent of the population. Um, mm. But when you move from the professions within the construction industry to the craft trades, it goes down to about 2 or 3 percent. So we're making reasonable gains within things like civil engineers and surveyors and architects within within the sector, but not so much within the trades. And why is that? Is it, you know, some have said just the site itself doesn't lend itself to, yeah. to women. I even was speaking to somebody and they were saying, well, even look at the size of the bricks, even mm -hmm. the size of a woman's hand against a man's hand. It's not yeah. fair to start with. It's, you know, and, and I, I accept that, and I, but I think that's a thing of the past. If I, if I look at the, the sites of today, um, they're, much, they're a much better working environment. The, the drive of health and safety, and the HSE and the industry itself has got a lot to, to be um, applauded for this. They've moved the, the general site conditions of most sites on considerably. And the one thing that always comes up is the toilets. Yeah. Um, and yes, you will go into some sites where the toilets are less than acceptable, but it's becoming less and less, and especially in the more organised sites and the, 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 the sites where the clients take an interest in how their sites look as well. Um, so in terms of the gender balance, we're working on it. Um, we have just, well, CITB has just finished a, a programme where we did a female-only plant operator training mm -hmm. so that to take out that that potential embarrassment of someone where there's a bloke saying, oh, there's a woman in that cab. Um, so it's all women together and we put 12 women through it and they were all hugely successful and their earning power triples. Is that right? Absolutely. And how do we compare to other countries in terms of women and being visible on site? I think that's very patchy. I would say that we are probably average um, across across the globe, but there are countries where the culture is is no different for men in work and women in work and across all occupations. I mean, even the reverse of that, you'll find there's some countries where there's a lot of men in the, the NHS or, or the equivalent uh, hospitality and care industries, whereas here it tends to be more women in the hospitality and care industries. So it's it's just the culture of the UK and it's the way we've grown up and it'll take a few generations still to kind of get over that hump. But you think it's a, it's a good job with good earning potential for any woman listening to this? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, I remember talking um, to, to one lady and... She had three jobs. She was a hairdresser and she had a cleaning job uh, and, a, and a caring job. Uh, she, got, she qualified as a plant operator and even with those three jobs, tripled her salary. Wow. And her hours of work were much more set. She had a better life as a better result. Better life probably. at home. Uh, and finally, the last, I suppose, underrepresented uh, group, if, if you want to, to talk like that, you, you talked about disability or ability. Mm. How, are you, how are you moving forward there? What challenges still present themselves? 
uh, I'm almost embarrassed to say that for me this is a new area that I started to to look into and started to work with um, uh, groups that look after people with disabilities. But for me, it started off my son's dyslexic, uh, which is a disability. But depending on what role you are, in some cases, it's an advantage. He is an amazing communicator because that's the way he learned and grew up. So I'm working with uh, Empower Group. And at the moment, what they're doing is they're doing a survey of their constituency and asking what are the barriers between them wanting to come in to the construction sector. And I'm sure we'll get all the usual things, dirty sites and such like. But we're also having a look at what people what people with disabilities can do rather than focus on what they can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm almost going to try and create a list of saying, you know, people with this kind of disability can still do all of this and this is relevant to, to the construction sector. Planners and office jobs and admin, lawyers and accountants, they're all within construction industry and people with a disability can still do all that work. So much potential and to meet that skills shortage that you, you were talking about. Why do you love your job, Barry? Oh, because I get to do things like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's construction as an industry, um, and uh, and I really do mean it's, it is in some ways quite unique. It's a people job. Yes, you need the technical qualification, and yes, you need the technical skills, and it doesn't matter whether you're a civil engineer, a plumber, or a, a brickie. You need those technical skills, but you're working as a team. And as a team, you're meeting new people all the time and you're having to learn how to work with people and how to get people to work with you. And it's fun. I mean, genuinely, it's fun. Uh, we, we still have room to enjoy ourselves in, that, in those teams within the construction sector. And this is going to sound really cheesy, but we change people's lives. Uh, the construction sector, through the infrastructure, does more for public health than the NHS. Without water and sewage systems, we'd still be back in the days of cholera. But we don't really use it because we take it for granted now. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, it is my my favourite phrase is within the construction industry: "We build the world that everyone else lives in." It's so true, though, isn't it? And even if you look at those that hierarchy of needs, Maslow's, mm-hmm. it's all about you know having shelter mm-hmm. and a home and a place to work and yeah. all of those things that, as you say, we, we start to take for granted, but they are so vital to well-being and mm-hmm. and living a successful yeah. and happy life. And, and and not just physical well-being, but the, the the mental health aspects of having a job that's worthwhile, yeah. feeling feeling valued within your employer and within society. It's very important to us all. And, you know, what would you say are the most challenging aspects then currently? Changing the perception of the construction industry from bricks and mortar to glass and steel and that it's a really high-tech industry. We have jobs within the construction industry now that never existed before. Drone pilots are common within the construction industry. I know, I know, it's <laughs> crazy. Um, you know, and IT is as much a, a, a part of the construction industry now as the craft trades. Well, that digital transformation of, you know, even the planning stage and and then overseeing with the drones and yeah. the technology has, has totally transformed what we're able to do, especially those Northern Irish companies who before had to keep travelling back and forth all the time. You know, that's yeah. those journeys have been cut down. We, we, we are we are building facilities, buildings, houses, 
in the computer before we ever get onto site and solving all the problems before we ever go into site. If you look at the, the design teams, the architects and the engineers and the surveyors, they're doing so much work electronically, and then that goes to the site. What we haven't really clicked yet, uh, clicked, is, is, is transferring that to the craft workers on site so that we can do away with drawings on site, that they can actually see the virtual building that they're building at all angles. Um, I think it's, it's an exciting next move that I hope that I can be part of bringing into the construction industry in Ireland. And if there's anyone listening to this now, um, maybe they're thinking for of a career change, uh, or maybe they've got uh, a young person at home that they've been thinking about, maybe they should learn a trade, um, you know, sell it. Oh, yeah. Here, here's the thing. Um, a lot of people, when they find out what I do, say to me, well, what advice could you give my kids? What should they do for a career? And the advice I think is quite simple, is that you actually identify what you're good at as a person. You identify what you like doing, and then you try and make money out of it. And that's and the that secret. leads to a happy life. Uh, and within the construction sector, if you are the sort of person who um, is that really good blend of learning academically, but likes to take that into um, practice who learns from practical applications, this is the industry for you. I once um, did a talk to a couple of hundred careers, teachers in Scotland, and I, I gave them the challenge because what I had said to them was that when I was at school, I failed plenty of exams. I never failed an exam after I left school when I was in the workplace. Right. So my question is, why is that? Why is that? Because why do you think? I think it's because my learning style, as I said earlier on, my son is dyslexic, and I think I'm maybe a wee bit dyslexic. Um, so I had to learn by talking to people and doing things and practice things, and this is the industry for that sort of person. And as well, some of those big construction companies as well, um, they do great things, they look after their staff very well, and they invest in you. So you mightn't even realise your potential, but going in and working in that environment and having opportunities to try new things is great. And you can do that within one of that the is, great companies that we have. That is such an important message. Um, our, our Certainly our larger companies and our, our, our middle-sized companies and some of our smaller companies are very enlightened. They need good people. And once they identify a skill, you could come in as a forklift driver on a site and end up being a project manager for a large construction project because that, that logistics, sites are 80% logistics when you're managing a site. It's having the right things in the right place and the right people in the right place. And if you've got that talent, it doesn't matter where you start, that talent will show out. And it's an industry that really does spot this. I'll give you I'll, 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 just one more anecdote. Oh, I love um, these anecdotes, Barry. Don't don't apologise. <laughs> when when I was working with the Chartered Institute of Building in Scotland, um, we were working in Caledonian uh, Glasgow Caledonian University, and huge organisation, big big French contractor came across, and they recruited people within from Glasgow Caledonia and I was sitting with the recruiter. Now there's a language issue here as well. And I asked them what are the, why do they come to Glasgow and what are they looking for? And they said they are looking for people with shining eyes. Oh. 
So what they actually meant was they knew that the, the people coming out of the, the education system had the skills, but what they were looking for is enthusiasm and attitude. And the other thing that they told me was that uh, we also have a media company and they move their construction managers into managing their TV studios. What? <laughs> exactly. I, 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 that is exactly what I said. And I said, why do you do that? And they say, well, people who can manage construction can manage anything. Oh, I love that. Isn't that amazing? They don't so, cope with prima donnas. No, absolutely. I know all about the TV studios too. <laughs> no, no room for prima donnas in the TV studios. That's fabulous. So, and the shining eyes as well. It's just looking yeah. for that someone different, that someone with a spark, someone mm -hmm. with a passion, someone with a sense of purpose. Um, in terms of the CITBNI, um, you know, how many of you are there and what do you all do on a daily basis to <laughs> upskill and make sure that everybody's getting the opportunities that they can? Yeah. CITB started off with a very hands-on approach. It was a training centre where people came to school and they learned the basic skills and then went into the workplace. And it moved on from there. At the moment, what we do is, is largely transactional where we are supporting the industry. The industry will identify what the training they need is. The provider network will hopefully provide that training and we sit in the middle and support that through finances. Uh, where it doesn't work, then we are doing um, our own training for the industry where it's not available to them. But we need to move forward on that. And over the next few years, my vision is to, to transform what we do for the industry a, a bit and to look at how we develop the workforce in terms of transitional skills, moving into green skills, and some of the new competencies that our existing workers will need, and some that uh, we need to build into our current um, qualifications. Green skills environment. Green skills being one of them, but that's that's the latest that's the latest big thing. But and what does that mean, changes. green skills? <laughs> what does a, that mean? <laughs> that's a really good question. And I keep saying the skills that we have, 90% of the skills that we need, we already have. It's how we use those skills that has to change. Those green skills predominantly are, if you're building a brick wall, how do you build that brick wall to make sure that it's thermally efficient and that it doesn't bleed air in and out the building? Uh, when you're putting insulation, it's the details. So we only need to add about 10 or 20% into the skills that are already there. Um, and, and I believe that where we're moving to and where I would like CITB to start to progress with the industry to is this idea of more bite-sized learning. So it's a small piece of learning that adds to the learning that you've already got, that you've got from college or university. And it allows you then to move through your life and move through your career with the skill that you need at the right time that's delivered in a relatively small package. It's not a one-year course. It could be a one-day course. It could be a one-week course. And then building how we get that to people. And I'm looking at the, the beyond blended type learning where it's a mix of digital learning and practical learning. And that's where I think our organisation needs to go in the next five years. And that's how you get those shining eyes and everyone that uh, comes to you, those, those people that have a sense of... I know what we need to do next, and especially when it yeah. comes to uh, the planet and sustainability. Mm -hmm. And we know that the construction industry has been one of the biggest offenders in the past, but definitely such exciting, uh, transformative ways of working yeah. now have come in that, you know, you could be the solution. Part of it. Part of the solution. It's all about anyway. teamwork. Do you get any time off then, Barry? 
<laughs> and what do you do? Yeah, um, I, I, absolutely. Um, I, I For a long period of my life, I, while still living um, just outside Edinburgh, I worked in London and I created a rule for myself. And that is the weekends are for family and mm. for ourselves. And that pretty that. much, uh, try as much as possible to stick to that. Um, my thing at the moment is um, cycling. Um, I uh, I know to uh, I know this is this is a podcast where no one can see, but I don't look like your normal Tour de France cyclist. I'm a bit more rotund. Well, no, that's not fair. You look great, but you love your cycling. <laughs> but I love my cycling. It is my thing. And uh, my my wife said to me um, just before Christmas, uh, which I thought was a bit cheeky at the time, said, "So we're getting close to retirement age." What are you going to do when you retire? And I said, well, I've got the cycling, I swim. And I said, but what are you going to do if you're physically not able to do that? Which I thought was a bit cheeky. It was a bit cheeky. <laughs> she says, you've got to find yourself an interest that doesn't involve being physically active. So at Christmas time, she bought me an astronomical telescope. <laughs> okay. So I'm now embarking on uh, a new interest into looking at the sky at night. You're going to give... Uh, What's his name? Brian Cox, a run for his money. Wow. He was uh, speaking in Ballymena last night. Uh, yeah, watch the space. Barry Nielsen will be up there. Beside. Yeah. yeah, fabulous. Okay, we can't let you go without talking about the OBE. <laughs> so when did that happen and um, how exciting was that? It was one. It was really unexpected, and I think everyone probably says this because uh, it, it comes out of the blue. I think um, so. Over over, over uh, I think last summer I got the the original letter, and it was announced in the the king's first birthday honours list. It was lovely, uh, and I know a lot of people have various opinions on the the honours system, but as an individual, for someone to think enough about what you do to nominate you in the first mm -hmm. place and then for that process to come up and, and make an award it's a, it's, it's a compliment that I just don't have the words to describe um, And you went to Buckingham Palace? We went to Windsor Windsor? The week before Christmas just a few weeks oh, ago just a few weeks ago Yeah and it was what an experience Tell me Tell and us it was, it was, it was the, so the, we arrive at Windsor Castle and you've no idea who's going to do the investiture. You're not told, you don't know in advance. And we got to the gate at uh, Windsor Castle and the, the steward there, he kind of leans in a very conspiratorial con way and says, it's the king today. <gasps> And you think, oh, oh, that's nice. Did you get goosebumps? I did. I did. Yeah. And, and, and was your wife Sarah with you? Yes, and and my son. And your son. The the most surprising thing about this is is how much my son actually like thought it was a good idea. He's a very he's a bit like me. He's a very cynical person, and it's difficult to get any kind of compliment. As a dad, it's really difficult to get any sort of compliment <laughs> from him. If he was really hard. chuffed. He was. Aww. He was even prepared to pay for his own flight. Oh, uh, how old is he? He's, he's 28, so 20. he's not a child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah. it meant so much to him yeah. to see his dad get this. And, you know, did you did you chat to the king? Oh, yes. And and you're going to ask, what did you chat about? Yes. It goes by in a blur. Oh. We did talk about the industry. And one of the things that I know is very close to the king's heart is heritage skills. And we, CITB, have a project going um, to create a heritage skills centre in, in Northern Ireland, which exists everywhere else, but not here. Um, and I've uh, got a team working on that just now. 
um, and he was really interested. So we had a really good conversation and I managed to have something that he's genuinely interested in, which is yeah. quite nice for him, I suppose. And a wonderful honour. So, you know, it makes it all worthwhile, doesn't it? That it does. little boy from the from the tenements in, in Glasgow has done OK. Yeah, I just wish like my mum and dad were here to mm -hmm. see that. I know, I know, I know. I, just what you have achieved, this is it, and this is why it's so important. I hope you took yeah. lots of pictures, oh, yes. and then the grandchildren maybe one day will be uh, hearing about uh, <laughs> the wonder of granddad. Um, because there are so many entrepreneurs that listen to this, and there are so many people working in trades or crafts that have set up their own business, um, the purpose of this podcast, Barry, and we're, we're tweaking this question slightly for you because normally we ask this of, of existing business owners and, uh, and ambitious entrepreneurs about growing their business. And I know you do help and support people to run their business too if they, if they work in the construction industry. But what advice finally would you give to people who may have that idea to start a business but they've no idea where to begin or are unsure as to whether the risk is worth taking? Yeah. That's that's a really interesting point. Construction industry is, is strangely enough one of the industries where there's a really high percentage of people who move in to start their own business. Now they they start it for their own reasons and it gets to the size it gets to. But I think you've got to start off with belief. You've got to understand what it is you want to do and believe it can be done, um, and stick to that belief. And within Northern Ireland, there is a huge support system through the governmental agencies that are there um, that you, you can tap into and the local councils that you can tap into. But sometimes it's really difficult to find the areas of help that you need, whether it's finance or even just advice on how to set up a business. They all exist. I would say talk to your local authority, talk, uh, go into the government websites, and find out those business support. InvestNI has got a brilliant programme of um, uh, education and development for people wanting to start their own business. But there is no substitute for grit, determination and belief. In this, uh, it, it work, um, and it's interesting, whenever I come up with taking a different direction within the organisation, they roll their eyes and said, he's had another mad idea. You know, and I keep saying to them, if it's not a mad idea, it's not new. So if you have a mad idea and you believe in it, follow it. You've got the shining eyes then. <laughs> <laughs> Barry Nielsen, OBE, Chief Executive, of course, at the Construction Industry Training Board, Northern Ireland. Thank you for joining us in the Public Eye podcast studio today. It's been... Well, it's been a real treat. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. So thanks to Barry and thanks again for tuning in. I'll be back next time when I'll be joined by Lorraine Atchison from Women in Business. Lots of information coming uh, for female entrepreneurs. So do listen out. Another fantastic episode of the Public Eye podcast to come. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.